0: Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by Black Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, welcome everyone to this episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to help B2B companies craft compelling i-converting copy and emails. So coming to us from Arizona, USA, Linda Malone, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having
1: me on, Christian.
0: Great to be connected, Linda. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And before we jump in, uh, please shout out to Eric Melcher from uh, Innovators Can Laugh for this introduction.
1: Yeah, I know. It's great that he uh, connected us. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's dive in because, you know, this is going to be quite the conversation, I think. Um, <laughs> you are, you're quite the expert, I would say, when it comes to copywriting. That might be the understatement of the new year. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of, a lot of good copywriters, but I hold my own.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, but, you know, for this conversation, let's focus on a topic that I think has become part of your professional mission, and that's how to help B2B companies find their value proposition. So I would say let's kick off this conversation with two questions. One is, first of all, let's clear the air and define what a value proposition is. And number two, why do you think it's so important?
1: Value proposition, first of all, it's my favorite topic of all when it comes to B2B. And I'll tell you why later on we get into the other questions. But it's really, it answers the question, why should I choose you? Like the value proposition, really, it's not just about what you do, but it's why what you do matters to your clients. So it's like a unique promise. And I say unique because this is what really hones in on why it's important. It's your promise of value. It's a compelling reason why a business should pick you over your competitors. So that's really why it's so important. And most B2B companies can't tell you what theirs is. I know because I work with them.
0: (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. You mean the value proposition has nothing to do with the amazing product features and the (laughs) patent technology?
1: (laughs) You know what? It can be, they can be woven in. Yes. And in full transparency, it's funny because getting ready for this interview, and I knew this was going to be our main discussion. I took a look at my own value proposition and I changed it, which I could tell you if you... If you want me to reveal, reveal for the first time on this podcast, well, I recently shifted my niche, boost your fitness and health brand with expert crafted magazine quality copy. And it meets all the criteria that we're going to be talking about. So it's boost your fitness and health brand with expert crafted magazine quality copy, which really separates me from other copywriters.
0: So that's your, that's your current value proposition.
1: Right. That's what I just came. Yes, that's what I came up with literally yesterday, because <laughs> okay. okay. I had otherwise been focused on SaaS companies, and so I shifted my niche.
0: Right, right, right. Because that's the one that I saw uh, when I was doing your. Uh, I, I keep calling it a background check, but what I'm really doing is my homework <laughs> and just researching my guests, and and that's what I saw on your um, LinkedIn profile. Right. Yeah, I changed that already. Okay. So. Okay. Hey there. Fellow entrepreneurs and B2B marketers, before we dive back into the conversation, let me introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena, Leadfeeder. Now, we all know the struggle of identifying those elusive website visitors and turning them into valuable leads. But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts? Enter Leadfeeder. Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time, and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Leadfeeder is not just a tool, it's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. What sets Leadfeeder apart? It's the ability to provide detailed insights into visitor behavior, helping your sales team prioritize efforts and close deals faster. With customizable notifications, lead scoring, and GDPR compliance, Leadfeeder is changing the game. Ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals? Then head over to leadfeeder.com for your free demo today. That's L-E-A-D-F-E-E-D-E-R.com. Don't miss out on the future of successful lead generation with Leadfeeder. So, well, that's, that's a great start. Now, let's segue into the next question, which is about Uh, and you will have no problem answering this, I'm sure, Um, common mistakes and misconceptions. And you mentioned some of them already. But what is it pertaining to value proposition? What are some of the mistakes you've seen out there that marketers make? And most importantly, uh, what should they do to address them?
1: Well, the biggest mistake, it's not really a mistake. It's sort of a lack of, um, it's more of a, I don't even know, Well, I'll tell you what it is. You can tell me if it's actually a mistake. It's just that they don't either don't have a value proposition or it's not niched down enough. It's too vague. You know, a lot of these companies sound like everyone else. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is they they don't want to like they want to stand out, but they don't want to stand out. You know, it's always, especially if it's a big company where a lot of people have their say with what is you know, the messaging is, and but it, it, it works against them because they're not setting themselves apart from their competitors. So that I think is the biggest issue that I, I see, and I see it all the time, like on a landing page or a homepage.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But what do you think they can do to address that? Because I mean, like we, you know, that's, that's the classic like B2B scenario, right? It's the whole like, let's play it safe, let's right. not rock the boat too much but let's try to be different anyway. So right. It's kind of like they're always becoming their worst enemy at some point in, in you know in the journey, right?
1: Well what what i suggest and this is the best way to find your real value prop is you want to study your competition. And what you want to do is like when i work with a client i will get into the social media. What are people saying about them? What are people saying about their competitors? And what are the biggest complaints and what are their competitors not doing or not talking about? It may not even be that they're not doing something, but if they're not talking about it, that's something you want to talk about. And there's that famous story uh, among copywriters It's famous. About, um, now I'm going to forget all the names associated with it, but it was a famous copywriter who was working for Schlitz beer back in, I don't know, 60s or something. And he was brought into a factory and because his, his job was to find, you know, to, to create this high converting copy. And he saw a process that they were doing to clean their glassware something they were doing where they were, it it was to him, it was astounding. Like, I didn't know that you guys, did this. It was some kind of steam cleaning of, um, it was like a step that he didn't, was not aware of in the process. And the person, the marketer he was talking to, um, said, well, all our competitors do it too. He said, yeah, but they don't talk about it. And so he brought that out in their copy and they ended up being like the number one selling beer, like after that point, because they just pulled out what it was their competitors weren't talking about. So that's how you find the best value prop.
0: That's a a pretty good example. And um, I love that you brought up that bit about research. Yeah. Because you kind of can't, like, talk about value proposition and just skip the research part, right?
1: Especially
0: customer research. So talk to us about what marketers and or copywriters um, should be looking for when they're, for example, conducting customer interviews. Like, how you know, what kind of insights should they be extracting?
1: There's the most important thing is to ask Uh, First of all, is to talk to customers and past and present customers. And a lot of companies don't feel they need to do that, but you need that outside perspective. And you want to ask them, what is it that made them go with you instead of the competition? And, you know, what was the transformation? So this, fill again, it goes back to kind of that gap that your competitors are not doing or not talking about. So, you know, it could be, Something, um, I mean, there's just, it, there could be anything, really. I, one of my clients, uh, all of their customers, because I talked to them when I was doing, before I did the copywriting for them, it was all about how they have this, as one person put it, otherworldly customer service, where everyone had a... You you're get caught in that voicemail loop. Oh, click three if you want to speak to this department. And these people, this company, it's a big company. They have real people answering the phones. And they're not just answering the phones, but they're, they're very helpful. And it, everyone was talking about the same thing. And so they're actually, I use that phrase in some of their copy, otherworldly customer service, which is exactly what someone said. So it's what is it that, you know, made you go with them? And how did it transform you or transform the way you do your business, whatever it is that the product or service does?
0: Don't even get me started on this whole like thing with customer service and AI. I mean, like every bank oh. that you call here in Canada, you, you never actually get to talk to a person because they just give you this whole menu and then press one for this and press two for this. Oh, um, and then it says, what, what would you like to do today? And then it's AI, right? And then you, you tell them what? what you want to say and it's like I'm sorry I didn't catch that could you please repeat it's like oh give me a break
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so people are starting to really you know appreciate that when a company has real people answering the phone
0: yes imagine that right like people i know people. i wanted to go back to something you said earlier Linda because it's um it's it's something that i know uh, some of the listeners are struggling with and i'd like to get your take on it conducting customer research is important Extracting all those insights that you talked about are important, but let's take it another step back. How do you, it's not so much buy-in, but how do you get customers to agree to this type of interview? Because, you know, we've all seen this before where you try to interview customers and there's pushback because of, oh, sales are guarding, are guarding their customers and they're not very comfortable with marketing, talking to the customers directly, et cetera, et cetera. And that impacts the work of people like you.
1: Yeah. It's not always easy.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I usually, I tell my clients to strive for contacting as many people as they can, 15 or 20. And if I get five or seven interviews, that's usually enough. And side note, you know, it's enough when people start saying the same thing, like everyone starts repeating something. So what I do is I have a, a letter that I write for them and it, it talks about how, and it's coming from my client. So it's like, and it's, it's people who are usually happy with their service. You're not going to talk to somebody who's not. So, hey, this is going to really help our, you know, it's going to help our marketing. Could you please talk to Linda for, and I say 15 minutes. Now, I know that a lot of research, you know, people that I know, other copywriters say, I allow an hour. You tell somebody you want to talk to them for an hour, and they just will shut down because no one wants to do that. So I tell them 15 minutes, and what happens is if they have a lot to say, And it runs over that. They usually don't have a problem with it. And I'm very casual. I've interviewed, you know, I've done so much like writing in 20 years and I did a lot of content writing, which means I did articles, magazine articles. I interviewed hundreds of people. So I have a good ability to know how to talk to someone. If people are very curt, if they give one word answers and I can't go any far, there's going to be a short interview. But I usually say, you know, it's a 15 minutes. It would help us out a lot. And you know what the, the people I've worked with when they give me the names of their customers, a lot of times those people reach out to me and say, I am more than happy to talk to you about so-and-so because they're just, I just love them. That's the ideal situation. So yeah, it's just make it, tell them it's going to be short. Tell them it's, you know, they're not going to, I tell them, listen, you're not going to be quoted because they're not, unless they want to be, I'm not going to quote you. I'm just, I want to get an idea of whatever
0: it is i need to find out absolutely, absolutely. no i 100 percent agree with you on that um you know having done some of these uh customer interviews myself i always i always uh i top it up by five minutes so i'm like i i usually say like 20 minutes of your time right and nine times out of ten linda i'm not even kidding um they they, they go for about 30 to 45 minutes mm-hmm. because people just have a lot to say like you know when, when you start making it about them instead of about right. the company right <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Like, how did this
1: help you? And they start talking about it. Oh, sure.
0: Absolutely. All right. We get to the point in the conversation where we're talking about actionable tips, right? So let's appreciate this for a second. We all know that Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. And, you know, some of this stuff you can't do in an hour or in 24 hours and so forth. But if somebody who is out there struggling with copywriting, um, helping to define a, the value proposition of their company, what are three to five things that you would tell them you can do right now?
1: Number one thing is study your competition. And that's going to take, I mean, you can do a brief, even just a, a brief research. You don't have to dive into it super deep unless you want to. I mean, I do because that's what I, I do. But you want to look at, you know, like there's that, uh, there's a site, answerthepublic.com. You familiar with that? So you find out what people are asking about that product or service. What are they looking up? That's the the first thing I would do. Um, the second is there's five traits of value proposition that you want to have. And so when you, I actually have like a scorecard, and I rate a value prop on these five traits, so it's it should be unique, it should be desirable, something that your customer says they want specific succinct. So keep it short. And lastly, want it to be memorable, something people will remember. And so it, it has to be, it could be stronger on one part than the other, but look for something that stands out and doesn't sound like everyone else. Um, and how do you do it? There's always something, you know, i work with a lot of health and fitness companies that on the surface seems like, oh, they do what everybody else does. But when you get into it, there's always something unique that they're doing. And so those are the things like, look for, where's that gap? Um, so it's study your competition, look for the gap, um, look for these five traits, unique, desirable, specific, succinct, and memorable. Um, so that's three things. Well, it's that is that enough to get started? <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know, I, I I gotta backtrack a little bit, and this is my bad. Like, um, it might also help or, or be useful for the listeners out there if we can just dissect it a little bit, right? Because there is a process, and you've mentioned it already, to developing a value proposition. But can you elaborate a little bit more on what that actually consists of? Like what's in the value proposition?
1: Um, it should say going back to my own. So the reason that I chose, so I said, boost your fitness and health brand. Yep. Um, the reason I said that to start is that I, I have a fitness background and I've written for a lot of health companies and brand indicates it's B2B because I do B2B. Um, and then I said with expert crafted magazine quality copy, because I spent 15, 20 years working for and writing for glossy magazines, they call them like the real, you know, I've been in, Time Magazine, Huffington Post, and a lot of these other ones. And so it combines what makes me unique as well as who my target audience is and what I'm doing. So, boost your brand, that's what I do. Health and fitness brand, that's specific to the audience. Uh, Magazine quality copy shows how that's what my magazine, my magazine writing background. So if you can combine those things, a lot of it, too, is also about testing. So you want to run these things by, like you could even, there's a number of sites, and I can't name them offhand. There was usertesting.com, I think is one. They used to be $50 a person to try, but I think it's more than that now. It can be pricey to test this, but even just run it by your you know, colleagues um, or people who are potential customers. Do a poll on LinkedIn, you know, and... This, these are three things, you know, what do you think is, is best? So Mm -hmm. it comes, they come about like the value props usually come about partly from the research from interviews with my customers. What are they saying? What are the terms that keep prop, you know, popping up? Um, What's being said on social media is also important because it's unfiltered, especially a site like Reddit. Where I get some really good stuff because people just don't care. <laughs> They'll just say
0: anything. Oh, yeah, there's no filter there.
1: <laughs> so, right. I know I posted things and made a mistake. um, They will just blast you. Oh, yeah. And so, it's a combination of what you hear kind of on the streets, what your customers are telling you, and then what you want to be, you know, as far as unique versus your, your competitors. And it, it takes a while. I mean, I allow four weeks of research to pull together a, a really good value prop. I mean, I could probably do it a little bit quicker than that, but to get a hold of everything and really look at what's important. It's, it's not something that's easy to do. People just throw these things out there. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I tend to see that a lot, even, in you know, with, with my customers and whatnot, like they, a lot of them are under this illusion that, well, it's a value proposition. It can't be that hard, or it can't take that long, right? But then, the the reason the reason they think that way is because you know nobody's ever like um, you know popped the trunk, lifted the hood, or whatever. Or whatever analogy you want to use, right? So, so they don't actually know what's happening behind the scenes, right? right? Like how much work go actually goes into that, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's not something you can just toss together. But if you do, I mean, you're going to end up sounding like everybody else, like even using AI. At some
0: point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will use AI to brainstorm. I never use, like for something like this, I did go in there and and say, hey, this is everything I do. do. What do you think would be a good value prop? But you have to keep in mind that AI is going to pull together what's out there already. So it's not going to be unique it's going to be, okay, this is what other people are saying. So, but it gives me an idea of how, like when it said fitness and health brand, I like that because it said, if you're using, if you're B2B, you want to include brands. So yeah, I did use AI to brainstorm a little bit, but the end result was my own. And, you know, that's the way I use AI to help it along, but it's not the end result.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we will get to um, the topic of AI in a second. But before we do, um, if you could just give us an example of how you helped the customer to develop and define um, the value proposition that they had or they didn't have.
1: I was working with an Australian company that had, it's a recovery company, so it's for sports. It was owned, well, it is owned, it's still there. Um, It's owned by a uh, former professional athlete, and so this is—it's not a gym; it's more of a recovery, um, uh, recovery place. So you go in and you do ice, ice baths, massages, like things to recover from like your
0: physical therapy. Or?
1: Yeah, it's like that, but it's even beyond that. Okay. So I talked to him, and I spoke to his um, I'm trying to think of it was customers. This is a while ago, so I'm trying to think um, customers he's he started a franchise of these so this is the b2b where it comes in so b2c would be the people the end user but it, he actually was selling the franchises to people who had the same goals as he did which is to help people recover from from sports uh injuries or just to to up their game and so when i talked to him and the people that were potential customers that They talked about how they were driven by a greater purpose. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about how much am I going to make, you know, running this franchise? How much can I charge? Like that never came up. And so it was always like after talking to him and literally that's the thing that got him out of bed in the morning. He and his wife were running this franchise. Um, And so I incorporated that into the, the header and it, that's what made it. I mean, he, I remember when, what happens is when I do a, a value proposition, I create this whole um, presentation. And so when I was presenting it, he was silent and that's either really good or really bad. You know, in this case, it was really good. He just said, I don't even know what to say. This is so good is what he said. And the the franchise, you know, the header on his website was for entrepreneurs driven by a greater purpose. That was it. That was it. You know, it wasn't the money. It wasn't, hey, you know, even even helping people was, I mean, it was secondary. It was part of it, but it really was about that inner drive to, um, to seek to have a greater purpose. And this was what their, they felt their purpose was. That was probably the mo the biggest one as far as the a revelation. Like he didn't even expect that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic. I mean, that must have been nerve wracking for you. I think we've all been in those meetings where you know, like the, the customer doesn't say anything, and uh, like you said, it's like okay, he either really loves this or he really hates it, and he's just waiting, like and, yeah. until you're done, and then and then he delivers <laughs> the grand finale. Like, <laughs>
1: And I don't give them anything ahead of time because I mean, it's, we, you know, we talk back and forth while during the process, but when I present everything, I don't send them everything until it's completely done. Cause sometimes I'll edit it live during the, if there's something, but it's, yeah, it's nerve wracking. And, um, you know, I'm pretty good at ad living here and there and and not getting nervous and not showing that I'm nervous, but sometimes inside I'm just sweating.
0: So <laughs> I, 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 I hear you. I hear you. I've tried to train myself to do this, and I haven't been very successful at it. But I've tried to train myself to avoid using gap fillers. Yeah. When I'm nervous in a presentation, like um, you, you know, they say just uh, exercise or practice using silence instead. Yeah. Because apparently silence can be very powerful. But I've I've found also that silence can also be to your detriment as well. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. I know. I used to, uh, years ago, I was a part of Toastmasters where they teach you how to speak. And there's somebody, did you ever go to one of those meetings? Yes, yes. And they they have somebody counting your ums and ahs, and that's what got me out of it. I usually can catch myself, but uh, it makes you really, really aware of it for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And now we are going back to the topic on everyone's lips these days, AI. All right Now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to start talking about how the machines are rising up and replacing <laughs> all, all the copywriters, because I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I think the more important question, uh, which I'm passing on to you, Linda, is AI seems to be impacting almost every aspect of our work, not just as marketers and copywriters, but pretty much across other industries. But do you think that AI should be used in copywriting, and if yes,
1: I think it should be, there's definitely a role. There's there's a place for it. What I have found is I like to brainstorm with it, but it tends to come up and I have the chat GPT, this next level. There's like, I pay $20 a month for it, which is supposed to be, my copywriting coach said, get this one. Cause it's, it's better. It comes up with the same phrases a lot and it loves words like dive into and I I can't think of the, it's like um, marketing speak is what I call it. So I think that it's great to get a start. Like a lot of times I will take an entire interview, even like my podcast, you know, I'll put everything, uh, the notes or a bulk of it into AI and say, can you extract what the main points are? And that will speed up things for me. It really worked well when I had a client that had, She said she had five different target audience personas. And when I looked at this Excel spreadsheet, she sent me, I'm like, how am I going to go through all this? And I said, you know what? I'm throwing all this in AI. And I said, can you merge these into one? Like, what are the commonalities? That was probably the eye-opener for me because it came up with what was the same in all five. So it saved me a ton of time. I think that's the way to use it really is you want to, it can save you time for extracting important information. It can get you started with titles and headings. I don't rely on it a lot for that because as I said, it uses a lot of marketing speak. It's the same stuff everyone says. And that's what this whole interview is about. It is not sounding like everybody else. And even AI at one point I had asked something about that kind of as I put it, I made it punch itself in the face. I said, "What is it that that humans do better than AI?" And it said, um, y- "You have to remember that AI does not create; it repeats and it gets information that's already out there. Where it doesn't, um, it speeds. It can speed up research, but it's not the. Fu- to me, it's, it should never be the final word. You've got to be a copywriter, and you've got to know." how to create good copy and, and use it as a tool. It definitely has a place and it has sped up processes for me, for sure.
0: At the very least, it'll help you to filter out all the terrible ideas. <laughs> <laughs> know. You know, when you, when, you but prompt, it's... when you prompt um uh chat GPT to come up with headlines and it comes up with all these like cringe worthy ones. <laughs> oh, I know.
1: And it always uses colons. It's like, it has one part colon and I, and so you can say you can put in it, you know. Please change these to titles without colons. Mm-hmm. It still sometimes will still do it. Yeah. It's very um, uncooperative at
0: times. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I <laughs> started
1: <of> the uprising. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using colons. It's like, it's like
0: these little micro, like like these microaggressions, right? Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like, look, I, I'm I'm not against uh, AI. Uh, A potential client asked me this last week you know how does how does uh, the the availability of all these ai tools impact the kind of like writing work that i do and i said like look there's a time and place for ai i just don't think that it should be used and i think this was your point um like the way that people are always chasing the, the next hack or or looking for that shortcut i don't think that it should be to shortcut your work now don't get me wrong i don't mean that you can save time researching. I think that's great, but I don't think that you should rely on AI to do all the copy for you. Oh, and, no. Yeah, and I think that's where it goes all right. And you can tell.
1: Yes. You can tell when someone's used it, even in, in LinkedIn. You know, I'm on there a lot and people will, you can tell because if somebody, if their comment is a summation of what you said, that's AI, oh, yeah. like yeah. nine out of 10 times. Absolutely. They're not adding anything. They're just repeating. And it's like, just
0: stop. (laughs) Tell us how you feel. Right.
1: (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I just, I recently heard uh, an interview with uh, somebody who had met. um, Oh, it was one of the actors in Jurassic Park had met the, who is it? I can't think of his name. Um, The writer of Jurassic Park. Michael Crichton. Yeah. So he had a conversation with Michael Crichton. And he asked him about somehow he just, it wasn't even AI specifically, but it was the internet. And he said, what is it, you know, how do you feel about everything that's happening? And Michael Crichton said, I hate it. And the actor um, said, well, why? because people aren't thinking for themselves. He said, Einstein came up with his ideas by sitting and looking out into like whatever he looked out into. It was, you know, he just, he would sit and think. And he said that AI and our reliance on the internet is kind of a, what did he call it? Um, But it, it meant like it's just everybody else's ideas put into one, like you don't have your own idea. He said, you need to sit by yourself and think of things, originate ideas on your own without relying on everybody else's input. And
0: I thought that was great. It was such a good point to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, more people should be following that advice today, I would say. Um, it's even more pertinent than it was like a decade ago. Yeah. Um, it's easy to
1: just rely on AI.
0: Absolutely. Linda, it kind of sounds like you've been on your soapbox uh, all this while, but I'm going to ask you to stay up there <laughs> a little bit longer. Just, just for a couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> just for this next question. Um, so here it goes. A status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with and why? And let's make it uh, relevant to value proposition.
1: Value proposition. Okay, that's something else lined up for that. Um, for a value proposition, I think, um, and I don't know if it's something people do all the time, but it's really not, either not thinking they need one I think that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, we don't need a value proposition. People know what we do, or we just going to keep talking about what we do. And it's just your value proposition is the foundation for all of your messaging. Once you have that down, and that's why I do that first with my clients, we need to find your value prop because all the copy needs to come back to that. So not taking it seriously enough, not spending enough time creating it, These are the things, just really not seeing that it's that important. And that's one reason why I chose this as sort of my area of expertise, because I'm really good at distilling down a lot of information and summing it up into one statement. So I think it's just feeling like you don't need one or that it's not that important. And you'd be wrong.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, at least in my experience, because I'm more of like the branding guy for B2B. And it tends to be that way with a lot of B2B companies. They don't feel that brand is important until it actually becomes a serious problem. Right. <laughs> in terms of the lack of differentiation. I mean, to your point in, uh, earlier in the conversation, right? So uh, I was just
1: saying that people, if you don't create your brand, and I think it also pertains to your value proposition, people will create it for you. Yep. And you don't want that.
0: I've heard that one. I've heard that one. Okay, yeah. Linda, here comes the bonus question. And let's okay. see I'm if it has something to do with your actual area of expertise or it's just something for <laughs> you personally. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> if you were given the opportunity to interview someone one-on-one, living or dead, who would it be and why?
1: You know, the first name that popped into my mind is Keanu Reeves. Okay. Okay. Because I love him as a, he seems to have escaped all the Hollywood BS and maintained his humanness.
0: Mm.
1: I want to know how, how he did that. I could also say that about Tom Hanks, but I've heard some negative things about Tom Hanks. Keanu Reeves, also because Keanu is half Asian like you and I are. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so I, <laughs> I just um, I'm fascinated whenever I read things about him where he doesn't he doesn't talk about things like how he gives away money. You know, he supports things that he doesn't look for the accolades. He doesn't do it for the publicity. And he gives up his seats on a bus for, you know, for people. I mean, I'm fascinated by that. So probably him. And he just seems like he would be so cool
0: to sit yeah. down and talk yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean absolutely. To your point, it's um he's managed and kudos to him because it's not easy. He's managed to avoid all these, you know, this Hollywood intrigue and scandal that um other celebrities of his caliber are plagued with. And um, you know. Some of them, some of them can't seem to get away from the scandals. Right.
1: <laughs> right. And the other question I would have for him is how does he do a movie like John Wick, which have you seen any of the John Wick movies? So they're violent. I mean, they're violent to the point of almost being comical. They're like insanely ridiculous. Yep. Yep. But how does he do that at the same time that he seems to be such a, I don't know if he's spiritual. I sort of, he comes across like that. He does. Yeah. He does. You know, and yeah.
0: uh, it's was, interesting. Um, it could be wrong, but there was a movie. I think it was the early '90s, um, and it was Bernardo Bertolucci was the director. Um, it was Little Buddha, I think.
1: Okay, I haven't heard yeah, of it.
0: He was he he was in that one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he actually did play um, Prince Siddhartha, who who eventually became the Buddha, right? So.
1: Oh, yeah. I just I. I don't know. He just seems like somebody. I also feel like he's somebody who you can sit down and talk to without feeling intimidated. Like there's other actors that you'd be kind of, you know, you'd be nervous for. I just don't think I'd be nervous. I just think I. He's just a regular guy. How does he do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's all part of the magic. But uh, yeah, Linda, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for sharing your expertise and experience with the listeners. So please quick intro to yourself and how people out there can get in touch with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on Christian. It's been a lot of fun. Um, well, obviously I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, the copy works WRX.com is my website and you can reach me there or DM me on LinkedIn and if have any questions or Comments, <laughs> I'd be happy. And I also have my podcast, of course, which is the uh, B2B marketing and copywriting podcast.
0: Fantastic. Linda, once again, thank you so much for your time. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Imblick, please visit our website at www.imblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.